Well, if you would, open your Bible to Mark chapter 14. We're at the end of Mark 14. I'm going to spill over into chapter 15 a little bit today. Um, If you don't have a Bible, it's the text is in your bulletin. And because it is a little longer than normal, I'm not going to read the text as I normally do and then preach it. I'm going to kind of spread the text out in the sermon. So, again, you have to give me sermon time and Bible reading time. Just saying. You know, I I read this week um, something that John Newton said, John Newton, the, the one who wrote, that hymn, Amazing Grace, he, he said this about coming to the Gospels, to the story of Jesus. He said, we can read the history of Jesus Christ, his life and his teaching, his, his death and his suffering, and we can read it with indifference. Even though we say all he spoke or did or suffered was for our sakes. And I read that and I just stopped because... It's so easy to do. It's so easy to read the story of Jesus with indifference. And as a a preacher who's familiar with it and who is preaching it, it's easy for me to come to the next part of the story and say, okay, I've heard this before. We've heard this before. How can I make it spicy? I don't want to do that. I don't want us to do that this morning as we come to this, this section, this almost to the end section of the story of Jesus. I don't want familiarity. I'm not afraid that it's going to breed contempt for the story, but I'm afraid it's going to breed con, uh, complacency. I don't want that to happen for you or for me. So let me pray for us before we begin. Father, we come, and it is, it is our fear that we would come again to this part of the story of Jesus, to these, to these mock trials, these kangaroo courts, and, and think, oh yeah, we know this story. We know this story. Oh God, please don't let our hearts be indifferent to what Jesus has done for us. Don't let our hearts be indifferent to your heart in sending him for us. So we beg you, by the power of your spirit, to come and help us to see Jesus. Help me in the best way I can to help us see Jesus. And do better than I've done by the power of your spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in July... I met with uh, our elders, Jeff Morton, Tracy Smith, at the time, Dave Renetti, Richard Nelson. We met for our July meeting on Tracy Smith's back porch, which is beautiful. So we were outside. And I asked us all to consider and discuss this question. It was something like this. 
I asked, in all of these pandemic months, what is one thing that you believe the Lord has been showing you or saying to you about you or about him? And as we talked, I, I sensed that we were all expressing very similar things. Um, it was interesting to see that our hearts were all in very similar places. But I think it was expressed best by one of the men when he said, um, he said, I think the word that comes to me that helps explain where I've been these past few months is the word exposed. I have felt exposed, he said. And as we all talked, I, I think exposed is probably the best word to describe how we were all feeling and what we had been experiencing. And as we discover that all the losses and limitations of these past few months have exposed us as men, have exposed us as men who do not sacrifice, sacrificially serve our wives and children as we would hope or as well as we thought we did. Exposed us as men who still cling to idols of comfort and control. Exposed us as men who are more full of anger and anxiety than we care to admit. Exposed us as men who are just as worn out and worried as the people God has called us to shepherd. That's your elders. And in just a few minutes, Lord willing, we're going to elect two more elders to join us, Lane Ford and David Payne. And I, I think I know those two men well enough to say that they would probably agree that they too have been exposed over the last few months as men who are weak, weary, and prone to wander. And we're about to see in Mark 14, we're about to see Peter, one of the original elder shepherds, exposed. And so this morning I'm thinking about my elder brothers who with me have been exposed over the last few months. I'm, and I'm thinking about you. Because I would imagine many of you would admit the same thing, that God has used these months to expose things in you that are shameful. So Mark wants us to see Peter exposed. Um, Mark, remember, is writing from Peter's perspective. Can you imagine sitting down with Peter and having Peter retell this story from his perspective? with tears retelling the story of how he denied Jesus three times. Here's how Mark begins in verse 53. They led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together. This is in the middle of the night. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. But Peter had already deserted Jesus 
And yet here he is still following Jesus at a distance, Mark says. Now, I read that and I thought, that's just like us, conflicted. We want to follow Jesus. We, we love Jesus. We've deserted him already, but, but we follow him at a distance. So that's Peter. And they've taken Jesus to the house of the high priest to put him on trial before the Sanhedrin, which is this uh, group of 70 men from the priest class who are the highest court in Israel. And so what Mark is doing, again, is making another one of his Bible sandwiches that I've talked about. He's, he's going to describe three trials here, and one of those trials is not like the others. Uh, one trial is Jesus on trial uh, before the Sanhedrin. Another trial is Jesus before Pilate, who's representing the Roman Empire. But right in the middle of those two trials of Jesus, Mark shows us that Peter is on trial. He uses that kind of language. There's witnesses, there's accusations. He's the defendant. So while Jesus is up in the house of the high priest on trial, Peter is down below in the courtyard of the high priest on trial. And you have to rewind for a moment to a few hours just before this moment we're at the Passover supper, Jesus said to Peter, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And what was Peter's response? Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And now we fast forward back to the courtyard where Peter is on trial while a servant girl and some bystanders take the witness stand to testify against him. So we're going to skip to verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. So Peter acts like he's never even heard of Jesus. I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. He absolutely does not want to be identified with Jesus. And here he is. He's clearly uh, conflicted. He's with Jesus, following him from a distance, but he doesn't want to be with Jesus. And Peter went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. Again, he denies being identified with Jesus. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak, this man. He won't even say the name of Jesus. His denial here is so strong that he says, in effect, I'll be damned, literally. If you think I know this man. He would rather be cursed and condemned than to identify himself with Jesus. 
Mark goes on, immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Can you, can you even begin to imagine the shame in that exposure? Peter, who had sworn to fight off the enemies of Jesus and to die with Jesus, now crumbles before the testimony of a servant girl and her friend group. Peter thought himself to be a dedicated disciple of Jesus. Uh, after all, he was the first one to publicly confess that Jesus was the Christ. He was one of the inner ring of three who with James and John, was on the mountain when Jesus revealed all of his majestic glory to them. And now he's exposed. Whatever confidence he had in his commitment to Jesus was shattered, and he's reduced to a puddle of tears and shame. I have to ask you, have you reached the place where your confidence in yourself your own goodness, your confidence in your own resolve, your confidence in your own sense of being on the right side, your confidence in your, with your own, I got this. Has all of that confidence in yourself been exposed as a sham yet? Have you been brought to the point where you feel the shame of not measuring up to your own standards, much less God's or anyone else's? Have you experienced the utter humiliation of knowing that despite your best efforts, you are not enough? Have you yet come to the end of your hope in yourself? I think this is what your elders were trying to express that night on Tracy's porch. We were feeling that exposure. I want to encourage you that if you are in that place, if you have been exposed, if all of your confidence in yourself and your stuff and your status has been shattered, that you're in just the right frame of heart to receive the good news that Mark has for you this morning. Because look, even as Peter was downstairs in the courtyard standing condemned as one who denied being identified with Jesus, Jesus was upstairs standing condemned for being the Christ who came to identify himself with people like Peter and you and me. Look at how astonishingly gracious and good Jesus is. Verse 55, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none, of course. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Peter is guilty, but look at Jesus. He's guiltless. The testimony against Peter was solid. The testimony against Jesus doesn't stand. And some stood up and bore false witness against Jesus, saying, 
We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. They accused him of threatening to destroy the physical temple. But Jesus never said he was going to do that. He said it would be destroyed one day. And then we know in John chapter 2 that Jesus said, destroy this temple, speaking of his own body, and in three days I will build it again. He was talking about his own body being destroyed and then resurrected on the third day because Jesus came to build a new temple not made with hands but by the sacrifice of the true Lamb of God. He came to build a living temple made of living stones like Peter, like you, like me, living stones who used to be dead sinners. That's who this Jesus is. Mark goes on, the high priest stood up in the midst and and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Why didn't Jesus defend himself? Why didn't he defend himself? So Peter is downstairs opening his mouth to deny Jesus. Jesus is upstairs with his mouth shut. Because Mark wants you to see that Jesus came to be the suffering servant that Isaiah said would come. Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Why didn't Jesus defend himself? Because in that moment, Jesus came to be oppressed for the oppression you and I deserve. He came to receive our afflictions on himself. He came to be the Lamb of God slaughtered for our sins. We sang it this morning. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And now we come to verse 61. And this is it, folks. This is kind of the pinnacle of where Mark has been taking us. All throughout Mark, Jesus has repeatedly refused to let people say who he really was. He wouldn't let the disciples speak. He wouldn't let the demons speak. He was saving that moment for himself. He was the Christ. He is the Christ, and now it's time. And right here, appropriately before the high priest of Israel on Passover, Jesus confesses who he is. Mark says again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? What? Well, the son of the blessed. It's very ironic that these Jewish leaders were so careful about keeping God's name holy and not taking it in vain that they wouldn't even say his name. So instead of son of God, which is what they were Asking him, they said, son of the blessed. Isn't it ironic? They're so careful not to abuse the name of God, and they're going to abuse God himself in the flesh. And so Jesus is identifying himself as the Christ, as the Messiah, 
Just as Peter is refusing to be identified with Jesus, the one who he said is the Christ, Jesus is upstairs identifying himself as Peter's Christ. This is amazing. And Jesus said, in answer to their question, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He's not talking about his second coming there. He's saying to these priests of the God of Israel, who, the God whose name is I am, whom these priests also call the Ancient of Days from Daniel 7, He's saying that he is that son of man that Daniel prophesied about when he said this in Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. These are the clouds of majestic glory that belong to God. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language Languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. We shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Can you imagine what the priests thought when Jesus identified him as that son of man, himself as that son of man? Well, here's what he thought. Verse 63, the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. Jesus tells the truth about himself, and he's condemned for it. And look at how Jesus is in complete control of this trial. This is wonderful. It's like he's saying, uh, you guys have been wasting your time trying to conjure up false testimony against me, and they can't even get their story straight. Now, when I say the time is right, I will give you all the testimony you need, and it's all true. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of Man who will reign with the Ancient of Days. It's like, it's like those moments in the movies we love where, where, the, where the hero who's the most good and he's the most pure and powerful and the most humble drops his weapon and says, strike me down and I will become more powerful than you can ever imagine. That's what he came to do. Here I am, high priest, the Lamb of God. Sacrifice me. So even as guilty Peter is downstairs refusing to be identified with Jesus, the guiltless Son of God is upstairs choosing to identify himself with Peter and with you and with me. And the charge is blasphemy. One scholar defined blasphemy as dishonoring God by diminishing his glory or by depriving him of rights to which he alone as God is entitled. Dishonoring God by diminishing his glory or by depriving him of rights to which he alone is, as God is entitled. And isn't that what Peter did to Jesus? When he claimed that he didn't even know Jesus, didn't he diminish the glory of Jesus by his rejection of him? And don't we blaspheme God every time we sin against him? 
Every time the Holy Spirit testifies to us, hey, don't you belong to Jesus of Nazareth? Hey, aren't you one of his? And we try to silence his voice, and we turn, and we do, or we think, or we say, or we desire something that diminishes his glory, that denies his glory. When we deny deny Jesus instead of denying ourselves, isn't that blasphemy? And yet, here is Jesus choosing to take upon himself the very verdict that Peter and we should receive. Blasphemy. The high priest continues. What is your decision? He says to the other men. And they all condemned him as deserving death. So last week, we saw that Jesus came to obey in our place. Today, we're seeing that he came to be condemned in our place as one deserving death. Next week, we'll watch him carry that sentence out. Mark says, some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Come here, come here, come here. Imagine with me the horror those men must have felt on the day that they found out that they had spit on the face of God, that they had blindfolded the face of God, that they had struck the face of God. And how many times have you and I also received God with blows rather than blessing. That's why we need the suffering servant that Isaiah promised. That's why we need the one that Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 50 who said, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hide not my face from disgrace and spitting. I hide not my face from disgrace and spitting. Even as Peter was hiding his his face in shame, Jesus hid not his face from the disgrace that should have been Peter's and should have been mine and should have been yours. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place Condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. So what happens next? Jesus has received the condemnation for blasphemy that belonged to Peter and to us, and now Jesus will receive the sentence of death that belongs to Peter and to us. Mark 15, verse 1, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. 
And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. You see, the Jews didn't have the right to put him to death. So they had to get Pilate to do their dirty work for him. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. As if he was saying, you said it, not me. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Once again, Jesus isn't defending himself. Why? Because he's standing in our place. There are no charges that will stick to him. All the charges stick to me. And he stands there in silence, taking the charges against us upon himself. Verse 6. Now at the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? Even Pilate recognizes he's innocent. But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Here is Barabbas, a man who's not on trial because he's already been found guilty of treason and murder. He's on death row. He's already been sentenced to a crucifixion that he deserves. Sinclair Ferguson said, Jesus was innocent but declared to be guilty. Another man, Barabbas, was guilty but was treated as though innocent and was freed. Jesus died in his place. Tim Keller said it well. The blameless is blamed so the blameworthy can go free. Friends, it is no accident that Barabbas' name means Bar Abbas, son of Abba, son of the Father. Because Jesus, the guiltless son of the Father, died in the place of guilty sinners in order to set us free from our sentence of death and to make us sons and daughters of Abba. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, the Son of God became a man to make men and women sons and daughters of God. In your place, condemned, he stood. So how do we respond to this good news about Jesus? Two thoughts, and then we'll come to the table. First thought is this, 
how do you, how do we respond to this good news about Jesus being condemned in our place? First thing, when your unfaithfulness to Jesus is exposed, don't run away. When your unfaithfulness to Jesus is exposed, don't run away, repent. You and I will have difficulty finding comfort in what Mark showed us about Jesus this morning unless we find ourselves connecting with what Mark showed us about Peter. I can only experience Jesus for who he is as my substitute to the, to the degree that I'm exposed for who I am as the sinner. So remember that Jesus came to take on the real condemnation of real sinners. Hypothetical sinners need not apply. And that's why we prayed Psalm 32 this morning. It's a beautiful confession for those who are, have been exposed. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Joy is what's on the other side of repentance. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day, all day long. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Friends, when you're exposed, don't run, repent. Because if you want to clear the smoke of your shame out of your eyes, then come to Jesus and ask, and ask him to put out the fire of guilt that's in your heart. So don't run away, repent. And second, when your unfaithfulness to Jesus is exposed, run to him, run to Jesus. For every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. Remember the good news about your father's good heart. Preach that good news to yourself. John Stott said it beautifully. The essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We assert ourselves against God and put ourselves where only God deserves to be, while God sacrifices himself for us and puts himself where only we deserve to be. That's what Jesus was doing. He says we claim prerogatives which belong to God alone, and God in Christ has accepted penalties which belong to us alone. That's the gospel. Preach it to yourself. Look at Jesus on trial. This is our God. He suffered our shame because of his great love for us. And even while you stand exposed in your guilt, Jesus stands ready to take your guilt on himself to cover your exposed guilt and to, cover, and to carry your shame. That's why Paul could later say in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So my brothers and my sisters, I remind you of the words of John Newton. Come to Jesus. If you knew his heart, you would. Father, would you help us 
to know your heart because we know the heart of Jesus. And would you help us to remember that this table shows clearly the heart of the one who stood condemned in our place so that we could stand before you with no condemnation ever again. Ah, that is such good news. Help us to believe it and to live in it, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.